After Christmas, this morning we want to just take a glimpse at Jesus' childhood. We don't have many examples of, from his childhood except this one story from Luke, and many of you probably already know it, uh, but uh, we want to take a look at it today. And uh, the target of this message is, is kind of a younger audience, and I know we don't have a younger audience here today, but if you've got some kids or grandkids, I hope I say something that you can maybe take it home with you and get them to watch it on YouTube or something like that. So, but let's jump right in. The second chapter of Luke, 41st verse, this is the story. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Now, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And as when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother that treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and humanity. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help, help me lift you up today. Lord, help us... Uh, give an encouraging word to our children and our grandchildren that may need an encouraging word as we start a new year together. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help that you may in your power and grace draw near to us in these moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, now, brothers and sisters, this morning we find one of the more interesting passages in all the New Testament. I mean, this almost is a story that you wouldn't think the church would have chosen to put in there. Jesus getting into trouble as a 12-year-old with his parents. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't trying to be rebellious or disobedient or anything like that. It was more uh, kind of being on a, having a different plan and a different priority and being on a different schedule. Uh, Jesus thought it was obvious that he's now 12, you know, you have that early bar mitzvah, and, and now he's to take responsibility for being an adult, and, and he was eager to get going. He knew God, his father, had a plan for his life, and, and uh, he'd walked in that plan, and now he, it was time to get ready. It was time to prepare. It was time to learn, and he knew, he knew that the, the synagogue rulers out in Nazareth, you know, probably were 
some of them kind of mediocre, you know. He was now in Jerusalem, and he could ask sort of the, some of the leading guys and, and glean from them uh, understanding about God's way and the way of the Father. And so he did that. But, but y'all, you know, I can relate to Jesus just a little bit because, you know, in my high school years, I kind of did some dumb things as well that I really wasn't intending to do. Um, maybe, maybe you have too. I, I remember one time in high school, I was probably about a junior, and in the summer, our church would go on different trips. The first trip we went on was a choir tour, and, and that's kind of where I learned to sing. Uh, we went on choir tour every year, and often, you know, the, we always wanted to go to Florida, you know, so we'd end up singing at the same churches probably about every year. But we went down to Panama City, and while we were in Panama City, we had a great time, and we'd kind of gone shopping, and one of the stores down the road from where we were staying uh, did airbrush t-shirts. You remember those, right? I guess you can still get those. And while I was there, I saw this really cool airbrush t-shirt of Jesus with the crown of thorns on his head, bleeding a little bit. I mean, it was it was like the lady who had done this was just, it was incredible. Uh, but I didn't have time to get it done. I didn't have time to get it airbrushed, you know, because, I mean, it was, it was one that would have taken, taken her several hours to do. But as I went back, I kept thinking, man, I would really love to get that airbrush tank top t-shirt. Uh, well, we headed back to Georgia. I thought my opportunity had slipped away. Except later on that summer, the youth group then came as a youth group down to Panama City again. And we did that about every year. And, and you know, we'd have a little youth retreat with talks and devotions and all that. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we came back. And once again, I knew that this shop was just right down the road, uh, only a half a mile or so. And so the last day of our trip... I, early in the morning, I got up and I talked to one of the youth counselors and I said, when are we leaving? And they said, oh, we won't leave till after lunch, sometime like that. You know, you know it's going to be a while. So I said, okay, great. So I, you know, I, I'd been running up and down the beach, kind of exercising a little bit every day. So it's just, well, it's just a little bit further. And so I started hiking off down the road to find this shop where I could get my shirt airbrushed. And uh, so I, I went a half mile, and it wasn't there. I went a mile, it wasn't there. I, I think I probably went like a mile and a half and finally got there. And then, you know, I had to get it painted and all that, and so that took a while. And, and uh, finally, when it got to be, you know, maybe 10.30, I began looking at my watch thinking, mm, time's getting a little tight. I hope I can get this done and get back. And, and it just kind of kept on going but finally she got it done it looked awesome it was terrific i still have the shirt somewhere unless andrea threw it away uh, though, though it doesn't look quite as nice on me as it did as a teenager but it was awesome you know uh, i had people later on at school saying is that bob marley you know i said no that's not bob marley that's jesus um but it was it was really cool so I, st I bought it, I started hiking home this mile and a half on the way back, and, uh, and then I finally got to where I could see our retreat place as I was walking down the road, and there I could see our church bus in the parking lot ready to go. 
And the closer I get, I see my youth pastor, Earl, kind of staring at me like this. <laughs> you see, I thought I had plenty of time to get back, but they were ready to roll. And fortunately, they had not left me in Panama City. Suffice to say, Earl was not happy with it me at all. He, I told him, well, I had to get my T-shirt before we left. He said, well, get on the bus. I got on the bus, and we rode home. And, and then when I got home, he really... He was really, really nice to me. He didn't yell at me too much. Though when I got back, he did make me and a couple of other guys that had gotten in trouble clean up the bus before we could go home. But that was one of those instances where I really, I wasn't trying to be disobedient. I wasn't trying to do a bad thing. You know, I, th I thought everything would work out, and it sort of did, but, but not exactly according to plan. And, and we see that in the story of Jesus today. And what I want us to look at just for a bit is it's not easy being a teenager. It, even we see that with Jesus. It's, it's not always easy being a teenager. We think we have more authority than we do. We think we can do more on our own than perhaps we can. And not only that, but in our modern culture today, we've extended adolescence out like 10 years, right? You know, maybe 12, you have your confirmation, you begin professing your faith in Jesus seriously if you're a church kid and then at 15 you get the learner's permit and at 16 you get your driver's license and then at 18 you can go to war and you can vote but it's not until 21 that you can buy alcohol i mean we just we take adolescence and we spread it way out and 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 we see that as a culture we we don't do adolescence always very well and we're seeing that especially i think with boys these days that boys some boys are struggling. They're struggling because they don't have any aspirations to excel at school and to do really well there. Uh, really, all they sometimes want to do is go home and play Xbox or watch YouTube and, and, and just kind of, if they could make a life doing that, you know, but, but only so many people can be professional gamers and make a living at it. There are some, you know, and, and I can relate to that. You know, I grew up playing uh, ColecoVision, I don't know if anybody remembers ColecoVision, you probably remember Nintendo. That's, I grew up playing those and doing the similar things, but, but we're finding it today that it's hard to get guys aspiring enough to go to college, for instance. Uh, and, uh, and more and more kids are wanting to drop out early and just maybe jump in the workforce, maybe not. And and so I hope we can learn just maybe a few lessons from Jesus today that, uh, that I would love for our kids and especially our boys to kind of latch on to. And perhaps we can help them latch on to those things. Because we see in Jesus, I mean, he was 12. He knew his call. He knew his purpose. He knew God's plan. And he was ready to go, wasn't he? He was ready to go. And so when mom and dad find him, you know, they say, hey, we've been searching. And I can't, I can't imagine, you know, being Mary and Joseph, you know, losing Jesus for three or four days. You know, I mean, I was only gone for probably, they probably only missed me in the youth group for an hour or two at the most. But this is three or four days. And then when Mary gets there, and of course, she's the first one to jump in. And she says, you know, you've worried your mom and dad's sick and he says why were you worried about me why were you searching for me didn't you know i had to be 
in my father's house. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And a couple of things that that I want to share that this story shares, I think that can maybe help our young people navigate life. One thing that helped Jesus a ton is he grew up in what we'd now call a Christian family. Back then you'd call it a Jewish family. But a, a, a family that had a priority on making God the father of primary importance. I mean, they'd come to Jerusalem for Passover. It's clear that this was a regular family habit, that they came to Jerusalem for the important religious festivals. They came to remember that they had come out of Egypt as slaves. They had, they'd come to Jerusalem to, to remember that uh, the lamb that had been slain, that the blood of the lamb had passed over them, had kept them safe, had made them whole, had delivered them from slavery, and had made them a people. And so that even in the midst of being ruled by the Roman Empire and not being in charge of their lives, they still knew that the blood of the lamb covered their lives and covered their shame and covered their sin. And the hope of God was also for their freedom as a people. And so Jesus grew up doing this. He grew up being in a synagogue Sunday in and Sunday out, learning the lessons even from maybe a mediocre rabbi uh, of, of what it meant to be a part of God's people. And we find in our culture today, again, that, that church being a priority is getting kind of lower and lower and lower. You know, I mean, yes, you can watch us online, and for everybody watching online today, we are very thankful you're watching online. Uh, and in this season of COVID, I totally get that. But brothers and sisters, there's just something about gathering together as a people in God's house, in God's place, as God's people. And, and nothing can replicate that. Nothing can duplicate that. But we live in a world and a culture today that, that is encouraging us as families to, to kind of get out on the road on Sunday morning. I'm seeing this in soccer. I've, I've coached soccer for, gosh, 16, 17, I don't know how many years, a long time, right? From when my oldest was five to now when my youngest is 15, I've been coaching all that time. And I've seen over the years that, you know, soccer calls us to, for instance, have occasional tournaments, and you always know the tournaments are going to mess up Sunday. You know, but for a team to, I mean, a team really shouldn't do more than four tournaments a year. I can kind of live with four tournaments a year. But this last fall season, some of the, you know, you got to kind of travel to go play soccer. And as you travel, there are some soccer complexes this fall, kind of for the first time, that would would say, hey, we're going to be playing soccer on Sunday morning. Not a tournament, just a regular season game on Sunday morning. You know, come on over to Dallas, Georgia, and let's play a game. And, and at some point, I think as Christians, uh, you know, there is a place to kind of lovingly push back and say, listen, okay, I get my kids may be in a tournament or two or even three or four, but, but can we not make a habit of of taking away our Sunday morning of worship and celebration and being shaped by the Lord who made us. Can, 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 
I mean, there's got to be other. There's got to be a Saturday. There's got to be a even Sunday afternoon. You know, I've I've been able to reschedule Sunday afternoons to kind of do some of that. But Sunday morning, uh, let's not lose the sacredness of that. And sometimes as Christians, we may have to lovingly speak up and say, "Yeah, okay, you're going to go play on Sunday morning. It's not a tournament." Well, you may have to do that without us because we're going to be in church. You know, maybe maybe move it back. You know, if you could just get the time back to 1 o'clock, we can come to the early service, and then we'll get over there. You know, but it doesn't need to be 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And so I, I think I think it would help our children. You know, our faith, y'all, brothers and sisters, our faith is caught more than taught. You can talk about God. You can talk about Jesus a lot in your family, but it's caught. It's, it's caught around the dining room table when you pray together as a family before meals, once, twice, three times a day. It's caught when they see that your values matter so much that you'll talk to your coach and, or your gymnastics teacher or your dance teacher and say, we just we can't do that this morning you know yeah we might can give you one or two sundays but if it starts to become six or eight or ten we just we can't do that and we're not trying to be sticklers we just we want our family we want our kids to know that worship the father that that's central to who we are that's central for our identity and this time is important Jesus had that. And so by 12, you know, he knew his father well. And uh, he was hungry to learn and be the best he could be. And my hope and prayer for our young people, for our teenagers, for our young adults, is that, that the Lord might place in their hearts and lives a hunger to grow and learn and thrive and be the best they can be. We see in the story today how, how Jesus' interaction with the early teachers just astounded them. They were amazed at how well he understood. And understand, understanding in, in the ancient Greek meant kind of putting the pieces together. They could tell Jesus at 12 was putting theological pieces together that just kind of made the teacher's jaws drop. He asked good questions. And as, as a preacher or pastor, one of the things I love doing with our teenagers, one of the things I love doing with our kids in confirmation, is I love when we can sit down with them and they can just ask good questions. And it's hard to get kids to do that today. You know, I'm afraid sometimes we train them with teaching that our job is to sit up, be quiet, and listen. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus asked the hard questions. And it's good to teach our kids you know, there's no dumb questions to ask. There's no dumb questions to talk about. If there's an issue you're wrestling with, it's okay to let adults know or to let your pastor know or to let your parents know. And let's just kind of talk it out and how we've wrestled with those things too because that's how they see our faith is real. That's how they learn. And so today uh, we wanna, I want to show you just a quick video on what Jesus' interaction in the temple that day might have been like. And, uh, and to see how, uh, how it astounded the teachers and how it also should astound us, too. It might have gone something like this. So, Abby, take it away. 
Look at me, Jesus Bar Joseph. Why did the Phoenicians cut the hair of Samson? Forgive me, Rabbi, but it was not the Phoenicians. It was the Philistines, and they cut his hair to make him weak. Where is Elisha, who was taken up in the chariot? It was Elijah who was taken up. Elijah is with the Lord. Who resides in the Garden of Eden? No one. There's no one in Eden. There is no one in Eden writing this and all the deeds of the world down? Men say it is Enoch, but Eden is empty. Until the Lord says all the world will be Eden again. Why did the Lord break his covenant with King David? The Lord does not break his covenants. The throne is there. Where is the king? He will come, and his house will last forever. <laughs> will, will a carpenter build it? <laughs> yes. There's always a carpenter. Even the Lord himself is a carpenter sometimes. How is the Lord a carpenter? Tell me. Didn't the Lord himself tell Noah how to build the ark? What kind of wood to use? And how it should be pitched? Wasn't it the Lord who granted the vision as a new temple to Prophet Ezekiel with the dimensions of the galleries, the gates, the altar? Yes, what? And when the Lord made the world, wasn't wisdom there like a master craftsman? If wisdom is not the Lord, what is wisdom? And when Cyrus the Persian decreed that we could return to our holy land, the carpenters came home to build the temple. As the Lord said, it should be built. <laughs> of maybe what it might have been like. It, I, I love the video because it makes us wonder, doesn't it? It makes us wonder about who this Jesus is, really, that can uh, stump the best teachers of the day. And uh, it's part of that that we see our hope, that we see our joy, that we see the love of God in Jesus Christ, that, that there is no one like him. And if in some way, some shape, some form, we can point our children or our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren to, to model their life just a little bit after his life, um, it's definitely worth it. To join together with Jesus. I just love the line, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The thing the boy Jesus got right as much or more than anything is he got that right. That the, the place of the human heart, the place of the human life 
is a place of relationship with the living God. It's a place of love of the living God and a place of the grace of the living God. And, uh, and if we can help our kids to get that decision right, I think you'll find all their other life decisions will tend to fall into place. And so, as Jesus grows in grace and truth, my hope for the next generation as well is that they will be a generation that will grow in grace and truth. My encouragement, again, I'd love for you to share this with some of our teens or some of our kids, would be that they would hear that you don't have to get old, you don't have to become an adult to be valuable. Oftentimes, some of the most creative, some of the most amazing, some of the most awesome work in our lives, in our culture, in our world is done by kids that are 12, 13, 14, 17, 18 years old. When they sense their gifts, when they sense their call, and when they live it out in amazing ways right then and right there. And often like Mary and Joseph, as adults, we're not ready for that. We're not prepared for it. And so when they begin to show their aspirations and their their vision and their encouragement and their passion and their abilities, we we kind of squelch it, don't we? And I said, what, what do you think you're doing? Uh, but our job is to get out of the way and let the Lord take them and lead them and guide them into his best. And uh, so to do that today, I, I, I finish with one more story. Uh, my kids last night wanted to watch a movie, and that's not usually a good idea as I prepare for a sermon. You know, I've I got to prepare for the sermon. I can't watch the movie. But, but they chose a movie last night that, a, a, that fits perfectly with this, and so I'm glad my daughter Lindsay chose this. It's called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Have you heard the story, The Boy Who Harnessed? It's a book. And it's about a boy in Kasunga, Malawi, who grew up in Malawi in a village there, wanted to go to school but his parents couldn't afford to send him to school and so the school kept kicking him out and he kept trying to go back and uh, his name was William Kemp Cam Kwamba Cam Kwamba William William had a real technical mind he could restore batteries that uh, had been thrown away he would find a way to make them work again he could help uh, the local community when the radio wouldn't work. You know, he'd tinker with the electronics and with the batteries and get it running again. And so he had kind of this technical mind in the village. And one day, as he was walking home from school, he saw his teacher's bicycle that he'd been riding around. And he kind of took a closer look at it. And he found out that the teacher had this a little electrical motor on the bicycle so that when you'd pedal the light would shine out and so he asked his teacher about it and says yeah that's a dynamo engine it's an engine run just by some little magnets but it has the power to to turn electricity into a light and as he thought about that their community had been having tremendous trouble with crop failure because uh well when it would rain, it would be the monsoon season, and it would rain way too much, and all the seeds would wash away. And then when it was dry season, it would be way too dry. And uh, the, they had a local community well, but they couldn't pump water out of the well because the pump was broken. But he saw, if I just had 
a little dynamo engine like this, I think I could build a pump to get water out of the well, and we could water the land and produce crops. And he tried to take this idea to his teacher, and his teacher was kind of, ah, not sure about that. And he tried to take it to his dad, and his dad was like, no, we're not going to do that. You know, we're just doing it the way we've always done it. And so he got very frustrated, he got very discouraged, but he didn't give up. He didn't give up. Finally, he talked to his teacher. His teacher was leaving town because the school was closing, because things were so bad, because the drought had hit so hard that their community was in dire straits. And so, so the teacher was leaving, and he talked his teacher into leaving him the little dynamo engine that he had on his bicycle as he left town. And as he left town, he got that little dynamo engine, and he talked some of his buddies into putting together and making a little model of a windmill and attaching the dynamo engine to it and then attaching that to the radio and the windmill blew and it turned on the radio and the guys you know his friends were like stunned they were like oh this is cool well he took that very thing home to his dad who was out in the field trying to dig you know crops with no water and he said dad i can get this to work to build a pump for the well uh, and he turned it on, he showed his dad, and his dad's like, what are you doing? That's the dumbest thing in the world. You know, like great parents, that's what we say, right? That's what Mary said to Jesus, what in the heck are you doing? And so again, he got discouraged and thought it wouldn't work, but he got his friends together one more time and said, you know, if we're going to make this work, I need a bicycle to turn into a windmill. And the only bicycle in town was owned by his dad. So he went to his dad with his buddies and said, we need the bicycle to make a pump for the well. And his dad, that was, it, they didn't have anything. They had hardly any food. They had, the only thing of value they had in their lives was the bicycle. It was the only bicycle in the whole community. And now the son was asking the dad to give up the bicycle to, for some crazy idea. And again, the dad was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Sorry. But after obstacle, after obstacle, after obstacle, finally the dad sees the writing on the wall that if they don't try something different, then they're all dead. And so finally he gives the bicycle to his son and says, okay, what do we need to do to do this? And he gets the men of the community together and they build this windmill and attach this itty-bitty dynamo engine to it and stick it in the ground and the windmill turns and the battery charges and the water pumps and they're able to run a hose to now save their community. All because a 13-year-old boy had a vision of what to do, how to save his community, how to make a difference. If he could just get us older folks to buy in and believe. What might our young folks do if we believe and invest in them? Y'all have got a great acolyte program. That's probably one of the greatest leadership things that y'all do here at Conyers First. But, uh, but we're looking forward to doing even more. You know, one of the things I used to do in, uh, when I was a youth pastor years ago uh, is every year I'd get our senior high youth together, our senior youth who are graduating, 
the week or two before they graduated, we'd sit down, we'd have a party for them, and, uh, and I'd kind of lay out, guys, you're adults now. You're not going to be under mom and dad's care anymore. So go change the world. Go make a difference. Go unleash your gifts and your talents and your passions for the Lord and use it to be kingdom builders. You know, and some of our kids, some of our boys may need a little kick to the backside to get on that track of seeing that they're here, not just to have fun or watch videos. They're here to make an impact. That was in Jesus' heart at 12. May that be in our hearts as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. May we instill that in our children's hearts for years to come. This will kind of kick off a New Year's sermon series. Um, in the new year, I want to take a look at something that's intrigued me for the last five, ten years. And I'm not a child psychologist, so I, you know, I, I'm not as good as a James Dobson or uh, Tom Lehman or whoever the other guys out there are, but but we're going to take a look at how God as Father parented the people of Israel and what parenting lessons we can pass on to uh, to our uh, as parents or as grandparents to the next generation. So so that'll be coming in January. So but in the love of Jesus, let us wonder. May His life amaze us. And may we never count out the next generation. For uh, the Lord hopes in them, and I do too, and I know you do as well. In the name of the Father, Son,